hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. William Cuthbert Faulkner was an American writer, known for his novels and short stories set in a fictional place based on Lafayette County, Mississippi, where he spent most of his life. In an interview with the Paris Review, he responded to the interviewer like this. The interviewer said, How much of your writing is based on personal experience? Faulkner said, I can't say. I never count it up. Because how much is not important. A writer needs three things. Experience, observation and imagination. Any two of which, at times any one of which, can supply the lack of the others. With me, a story usually begins with a single idea or memory or mental picture. The writing of the story is simply a matter of working up to that moment to explain why it happened or what it caused to follow. A writer is trying to create believable people in credible moving situations in the most moving way he can. Obviously, he must use as one of his tools the environment that he knows. I would say that music is the easiest means in which to express oneself, since it came first in man's experience and history. But since words are my talent, I must try to express clumsily in words what the pure music would have done better. That is, music would express better and simpler, but I prefer to use words as I prefer to read rather than listen. I prefer silence to sound, and the image produced by words occurs in silence. That is, the thunder and the music of the prose take place in silence. Referencing Faulkner, Bob Dylan said that creativity has much to do with experience, observation and imagination, and if any one of those key elements is missing, it doesn't work. I have to agree. For many years I have taught narrative in photography from this perspective, referencing Bob Dylan literature and music, most recently using the text from his song Murder Most Foul. If you don't know that, I'll put a link to the song on the website page. I'll also put a link to a film that was made about the song, bringing the visual to the lyrical. I saw recently that Craig Aitkinson has asked the poet Ian Macmillan to contribute some writing to one of his Café Royal photo books. I've always seen Ian's daily tweets, and I recommend you follow him, by the way, on Twitter, if you don't already, as being like word photographs. Of course, photographers working with poets is nothing new. The work of Faye Godwin and Norman McBeath come to mind. Photographers need to read or at least listen to the spoken word and see that there is more than one way to make a photograph. Maybe you don't need a camera to make an artefact of description. I think that's something at least worth considering. This week we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in less than five minutes, American photographer Andrew Moore, who's widely acclaimed for his photographic series, usually taken over many years, which record the effect of time on the natural and built landscape. 
These series include work made in Cuba, Russia, Bosnia, Times Square, Detroit, the Great Plains and most recently the American South. Moore's photographs are held in the collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Whitney Museum of American Art, the National Gallery of Art, the Yale University Art Gallery, Museum of Fine Arts Houston, the Smithsonian American Art Museum and the Library of Congress, amongst many other institutions. He received a fellowship from the John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Foundation in 2014 and has been awarded grants by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the New York State Council of the Arts and the J.M. Kaplan Fund. His most recent book, Blue Alabama, was released in 2019. His previous work on the lands and people along the 100th Meridian in the US, called Dirt Meridian, was exhibited at the Jocelyn Art Museum in Omaha. An earlier book, Detroit Disassembled, included an essay by the late poet laureate Philip Levine. There you go, poets. And an exhibition of the same title opened at the Akron Museum of Art before also travelling to the Queen's Museum of Art, the Grand Rapids Art Museum and the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C., Moore's other books include Inside Havana from 2002, Governor's Island from 2004, and Russia Beyond Utopia 2005, and Cuba 2012. Additionally, his photographs have appeared in Art in America, Art News, Harper's, National Geographic, New York Review of Books, The New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker Time, Vogue and Wired. He produced and photographed How to Draw a Bunny, a pop art mystery feature film on the artist Ray Johnson. The movie premiered at the 2002 Sundance Festival, where it won a special jury prize. That's enough from me. Let's hear from Andrew. My dad was, by profession, an architect, although I think he would have really liked to have been a photographer. Not that he ever told me so. I realized this only recently when I was going through boxes of old family stuff. I found all these pictures he'd made in the 1930s. There were actually quite a number of pictures from Havana, including one very memorable shot showing a man dragging a trash can full of empty bottles across the street. And other pictures, often some were made in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which included a very composed shot of a storefront that advertised embalming supplies. Strangely enough, I actually spent a great deal of time in both these locations making my own photographs, but my father never mentioned his pictures to me at any point in his life. And now he's long dead, so I can't ask him why. It makes me think of what Diane Arbus said once, that a photograph is a secret about a secret. My older brother and I shared a darkroom, which my dad helped build, when we were adolescents in the early 1970s. My brother photographed his friends and our neighbors, and of course, especially the girls in their loose peasant tops, bell bottoms, and bare feet. And there's an innocence to those pictures from 50 years ago that makes them alive to this very day. My own pictures, they were more befitting of a 12-year-old. My gerbils, my GI Joes, and a can of hairspray being lit with a match. Not too long after that, maybe about five years, in 1976, I took my first semester of photography in college with the extraordinary teacher and artist Emmett Gowan. 
At the very first session, Emmett unscrewed a lens from one of the student's cameras and holding it over a piece of paper, focused the aerial image of the ceiling lamp on that blank white sheet of paper. And he said, this is how Harry always started his classes. And he met Harry Callahan, with whom he himself had studied at RISD. I made many pictures that fall during my first intro class. And then I made that one picture. It was a very simple picture, which depicted a section of a cactus plant with a wire screen running diagonally behind it. The black and white print was small, not more than five by seven inches, with a slightly warm tone. When the final review came, Emmett held the print in his hands, and with the older advanced students gathered around him, he said very gently, this reminds me of an early Paul Strand. And that was it. Nothing in my life up to that point had ever been so satisfying. And I knew at that moment that I was destined for a life of picture making. What does photography mean to me now? And why is this question a kind of Madeline moment for me, bringing forth the sensations from a lifetime, over four decades now, of making photographs? In some ways, it reminds me of so many things. The smell of a freshly opened box of Kodachrome, the amber light of a darkroom, and water trickling and jazz on the radio, the retinal spots at the back of my head when I look too long at, a, at the sun behind a cloud. I mean, that's how photography feels to me. And what does it mean? It's the hope of an intriguing note addressed to a stranger in a battered mailbox along a dusty road, and my phone ringing the next day, a warm and inviting voice at the other end. Or it's the sound of a plywood barricade erected by some absentee landlord on the back door of a beautiful but abandoned theater, being torn off in the middle of the night by my crowbar, the screeching of rusted nails echoing through an empty downtown, and the precious hours I have to photograph a marvel that will soon be demolished. And it's the chance meeting with an old woman who lived alone in the woods and carried a gun on her hip and loved the Lord. She let me take pictures of her home, an astonishing place made of all old heart pine boards, and always asked me at the end of the day, did you get your work done? Her name was Pearlie, and she was a true friend. She passed away not long ago, and although she reminded me on our last conversation that we would meet again one day in heaven. Meanwhile, I'll keep praying to all the photo gods and waiting for a miracle. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Andrew, for a really enjoyable contribution this week. Fantastic to get that insight as to what it was like to be taught by Emma Gowan. Mentions of Harry Callahan and Paul Strand. How I would love to have just had just a moment of teaching from any of those people. And once again, he's talking about word pictures and the importance of sound. It's almost as if this podcast was created around theme and knowledge and understanding. It isn't, of course. It's just synchronicity of chance. That was the first time I've listened to Andrew's contribution. Prior to that, never heard it before. 
So how could I have known to start this episode with William Faulkner? Well, I think that must be one of those photographic gods answering my prayers. If you don't know Andrew's work, then check it out. It's really well worth looking at. And thank you once again to him for bringing such a considered contribution to this week's episode. Whilst we're on the subject of photographic education, I had a very interesting conversation recently with a very young photographer, just 16 years of age, studying photography at school. He said to me that one of the things he found interesting about photography was fine art photography, but it wasn't something that he actually wanted to do. I questioned him because I was slightly uh, intrigued, I suppose, really, as to what he considered to be fine art photography. I've always found it very difficult to define what fine art photography is or art photography, as regular listeners to the podcast will know. It's a word that, for me, fills me with a little bit of dread. But anyway, fine art photography, he was going to explain it to me. He said to me that fine art photography is constructed photography, it's controlled photography. I wondered where he had got this from, and he said that that's what his teachers had told him. We happened to be standing in front of a few different types of image, uh, a portrait, uh, uh, two sets of portraits actually, one more controlled than the other, uh, some food photography and some sports photography. And I asked him what he thought about this photography. Was it fine art photography? It was controlled. The photographer had taken control of the situation. No, he said, it's not fine art photography. I explained to him that this photography was controlled and therefore it fulfilled the requirements that his teachers had told him that meant it was fine art photography. He looked very confused at this point, and I told him not to worry. Don't worry about labels, and don't worry about trying to define what types of photography fit which categories. We kind of agreed, and he kind of agreed with me, that it was all photography, and that what he'd been taught wasn't accurate. And not only was it not accurate, but it was kind of restricting him, not only in the work that he made, but how he saw that work, and perhaps most importantly, the type of photography he would enjoy. So, I suppose the moral of this is, don't necessarily believe everything you're told by people who are teaching you photography. Before they teach you, find out what they know and what their experience is, and if it doesn't make any sense challenge what they're saying. But as always, be ready to get stuff to be thrown back at you. So if you're going to take a stance, make sure you know your facts. I was talking to a commissioned photographer the other day who seems to be doing really well. And he's not alone in that. I've spoken to quite a few photographers over the last few months who seem to be really busy and doing well. It's always really good to hear. It's so often that we hear negative stories about commissioned and professional photography. I suppose one of the things that could have come out of COVID and the lockdowns is perhaps some people have given up. I'm not sure if this is the case, but I'm starting to think it might be the case. 
Those were difficult times financially, and it may be that a lot of people who are trying to get into that world have given up trying to get into that world and may be trying something different. I don't know. But it's certainly the case that if you are professional in the way in which you work, if you understand client relationships, how to give clients what they're looking for, how to be upbeat and communicate well, then there is work out there for you. There is no doubt that client client expectations are high, not just photographically high, but high in all areas. I'm not sure whether or not most of all photographers really understand that. Sometimes I think there is an expectation that commissioning occurs on the basis purely of the photography. It never does. What that breakdown actually is, is a little bit up for dispute, I suppose. Whether it be 70% the photographer and 30% the photography, 80% the photographer, 50% the photographer. But I think I would definitely say that the photographer is more important than the work when it comes to commissioning. The most important thing, however, is that the work is good. You can't be a good photographer without strong work to back it up. That's for sure. But without a doubt, there is work out there. Maybe we're getting to the point at which there's enough work for enough photographers. Maybe there was too much expectation that the photographic world could support too many photographers. I don't know, but I think maybe an equilibrium is being reached. I'd like to think so. Anyway, whatever you're doing and however you're getting on with your career at the moment, whether you're a commissioned photographer, somebody who just makes images for fun, or somebody who's working on personal projects with the idea of photo books and exhibitions come out of it, it's all valid. It's all photography. We neither look up nor down at different areas of photographic practice. This is very much an open church here at The Photographic Life. But of course, one of the things you must do, whatever your relationship with the photographic medium, is always to take care. (laughs) 